Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. If you're taking notes, this will be called Vision to Multiply, Part 2. Vision to Multiply. If you did not catch last week's Wednesday night service, please go back and watch that. Man, I was just studying this this morning. I was in my office reading over these notes, and it just it gets me so excited. Because I'm going to even share some testimonies with you of how even me recently have put some of these things into to practice and seen dramatic results and increase in a short amount of time. I'm going to tell some testimonies to you guys in a little bit that will just like, I don't know, if it doesn't blow your mind and excite you, then you may be dead. We may need to pray for you to get resurrected. It's going to be amazing. So, amen. Luke 19, 11 through 27. So it says this. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct their impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Obviously, that's talking about Jesus, right? He was called away. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He said, one day I'm coming back. When he ascended into heaven, he was seated at the right hand of God. He was crowned king, and one day he's returning again. Amen. So before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. You know, I love the King James. I believe it's the King James translation of this exact verse that says, occupy till I come. Say occupy. I love that thought. He gives them these, these talents, these bags of silver. Another gospel account uses the Uh, illustration of talents, and he says, take this and occupy till I come. Hallelujah. Y'all, we're not called to be ran out by the devil or beat down or ran over by the devil. We are called to occupy, take dominion, rule on the earth until Jesus Christ returns again. But he said, he said, invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Say ten times. Well done, the king uh, exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so now you'll be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times. Say five times. The original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money. So you got three of these ten different servants, and one brings back ten, one brings back five, one brings back nothing. They just bring back what they were given. And it says, so it says here, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. He said, you wicked servant, the king roared, your own words condemn you. If you knew that I am a man, 
a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten pounds. But master, they replied, he already has ten pounds. Yes, the king replied, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But to those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. So let's just dive right into this tonight. This is vision to multiply. I want to extract a couple of points out of this parable and share some things with you that I hope it just gets in your spirit, and I mean it takes off like like it's gotten in mine. So number one tonight out of this passage, I want you to observe this. Number one, the master gave the servants everything up front. Hey, you guys, were you able to, oh wait, never mind, you said you couldn't put the scriptures in, right? Copied and pasted, wow, our media team's killing it tonight. Our software that allows us to, like, plug everything in and stuff, it just literally crashed right before the service. So they're back there just winging it. Amen. So make the, I want you to see this. The master gave the servants everything up front. Say everything. If you'll notice, the master, again, he gave the servants everything that he had to give them, everything he was going to give them, and he never gave them another thing. Is that right? At any point in this story, did the master come back halfway through and give them more and say, okay, you know, you, you, you've used a little bit and, and you've been faithful and you've maintained what I've given you, so here's a little bit more and then here's a little bit more. No, he gave them everything up front, right? So in this parable, the master never gave them anything else. I want you to get these two things tonight. Number one. We have received all things in Christ. This is number one, uh, so important for you to understand in this vision to multiply. We have received all things, say all things, in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20, and I understand some of this is going to be recap, but that's okay. It says, as surely as God is faithful, our word To you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you as God's ultimate yes. Say yes. God doesn't waver between yes and no. So you need to get it in your spirit right now that if God's word says it, he's never going to unsay it. If God's word has already stated a promise for one person, God's forever answer to that promise is yes to you and yes to me. Amen. You know, we kind of, well, Lord, if it's your will, Lord, Lord, if you're willing, it says no. He does not waver between yes and no. It says that I preach to you as God's ultimate yes. He always does what he says. Look at this, for all of God's promises. Say, all of God's promises. You know, there's over 8,000 promises in the Bible. What are the promises of God when you read through the promises? Deuteronomy 28. Anybody familiar with that chapter? If you go to this church, you should. That's the chapter, you're the head, not the tail of 
not beneath. I'll bless you in your coming and your going. You'll lend to many. You'll never need to borrow. Those are all promises. And it says all of God's promises have been. Say have been. So let me ask you this. Is the word have been, is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? That's past tense. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. That means that everything God has promised and everything that he, that he ever has to give, he's already given it to us in Christ. This is the first step to being able to multiply is understanding that God's already given you everything in Jesus Christ. Say all things. I posted this. I saw it, and it's so true. It was this post that said, you're not waiting on your breakthrough. Your breakthrough happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the cross and rose up from the grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're not waiting on your breakthrough. Your breakthrough happened 2,000 years ago. You know, that's the difference between people thinking they're waiting on God to heal them. Right? They see that in the Bible and they're saying, well, I'm struggling with some symptoms and I'm, I'm, I'm asking God that he would heal me. Well, you realize that he's already fulfilled that. He's already said yes to that in Christ. So the difference between somebody that gets a revelation that all of that's been fulfilled in Christ and a person that waits on God is the person that gets this revelation possesses the promise of God while the person that's constantly waiting on God just spends their whole life waiting. Hallelujah. So, the master gave the servants everything up front. Last week, I'm going to give you a quick recap. We talked about some things specifically. So, not only have you received all the promises of God, all things in Christ... Last week we pointed this out specifically, that in Christ you have received restored authority over the earth. I'm not going to get into all of this again, but you just need to understand it. In Psalms chapter 8, it says everything on the earth he's put underneath our feet. He's put underneath man's authority. He's put underneath man's dominion. So Jesus restored us back to Adam's position of authority. Another example, Matthew 16, 19, Jesus said, and I give you the keys. Let's actually just turn there real quick. Matthew 16, 19. Look at verse 18, and now he said, now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock I'll build my church. And all the power of hell will not conquer it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Say the keys. You have to understand that these keys, what is he talking about? What's the keys to the kingdom of heaven? What is Jesus talking about? Well, if you read Isaiah 22, 22, it was Isaiah the prophet prophesying about Jesus who was to come. And he said, Speaking of Jesus, that God would give him what's known as the key of David, where he could open a door that no man could shut. He could shut the door that no man could open. So I want you to get a hold of this revelation. God gives the key of David, which basically is this. It's the highest, 
It's, it's the right to access the highest court of heaven. When you think about a courtroom, a, a legislation, a government in heaven, that Jesus had this key to go to the very top and establish a thing. And whatever Jesus said, it was done. That was the keys of the kingdom. So look what Jesus said. He said, I'm building my church, and I give you the keys of the kingdom. I give you the key of David. So who has the key of David according to the scripture? The church say we do. What is the key of David? You can open any door, and you can shut any door. Do you understand that this idea... When you receive the revelation that God has given you restored authority, God has transferred the keys of the kingdom to the church, that means that you stop waiting on God to promote you, waiting on God to give you more, waiting on God to bless you, waiting on God to lift you up, and you begin to possess and open doors that you can open doors that no man can open. No, I'll wait on the Lord. If the Lord opens the door, no, you can open the door. Now, obviously, you got to be led by the Spirit to know what door to open and what door not to open, but, but you can open any door. Hallelujah. So he says, whatever you forbid on earth, who? Save me. Whatever God forbids, no, I'm giving you these keys. When whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Think about that. Do you know, some of you might, but you know what the key is? What is, the, what is the key? It's the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is the key of David. Did you know in John chapter 16, he says, you can ask anything using my name and the Father will give you whatever you ask for. What is he talking about? You can go into the highest court and stand before God, and you use my name. And what is my name's like a key. Whatever you use my name and you declare in my name, it'll open that door every time undoubtedly. Hallelujah. Y'all, I know we just kind of throw that name around, in the name of Jesus. Well, Lord, bless this food in Jesus' name. And we just kind of throw it around. What if you got a revelation of that name? If I use that name, the the world and the universe has to comply with my words because his name is the key of David. If I establish and declare something using that name, it has to happen guaranteed every time. What if you got that revelation, you stop playing around with the devil? Oh, please, uh, Lord, please help me in this fight that I'm having against the devil. Now, what if you said, devil, get away from me in the name of Jesus. And then you could walk away with the full confidence that because you use that name, it has to be done. When we get that revelation, there's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts, there's no maybes. If I understand my authority... That restored authority on the earth that I can live like Adam lived and decree something using the name of Jesus, the key of David. It has to be done. Hallelujah. Can you imagine speaking to your finances in the name of Jesus? Can you imagine speaking to your job, speaking to your family, speaking over a situation this I, I decree this established on the earth in Jesus' name. 
And then it's like, well, it doesn't matter. You say, well, I didn't see any changes. It doesn't matter. We walk by faith and not by sight. I don't care what I see. I said it in the name of Jesus, therefore it must come to pass. It has to come to pass according to the word of God. This is the first key to multiplying, vision to multiply. You understand this. Do you see now why in the parable so many people, they're waiting on God, waiting on God, waiting on God, waiting on God to do this, waiting on God to do that. When in the parable, the master gave them everything up front, and they had the responsibility to take it and put it to work and open doors and close doors and multiply and get promoted. Hallelujah. Man, this is just exciting to me. So we've received restored authority over the earth. Last week we said we've received all authority over the devil and over his domain. All authority over the devil. That's why the Bible says in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the devil. You can tread on serpents and scorpions. Nothing by any means shall harm you. You'll crush fierce lions and cobras underneath your feet. Hallelujah. Y'all, I'm telling you guys that Christians are to trample on the devil, not get ran over by the devil. I'm so sick of it. My wife, she's like, she thinks I'm sacrilegious because I hate sometimes. She's like, hold on a second before you just take that and run with it. She thinks it's ridiculous because we'll listen to, you know, Christian music. And I'm like, this is the cheesiest stuff I've ever heard. Some of these songs, they're so cheesy. Like the mainstream stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Because it's just the gob, the fuzzy blanket gob. The fuzzy blanket gob that, you know, we're all just going to go through it. We're all going to get slapped around by the devil. But praise the Lord that we got a fuzzy blanket God that wraps around us and gives us a fuzzy blanket God hug when we're in our time of need. But yet, that's not what the Bible says. We read about Jesus who spoke to storms and commanded them to stop. He said, speak to a mountain, command it to move. You can speak to an evil spirit, and with a simple command, they'll obey what you say. Man, hallelujah. Some of y'all need to start claiming your children's salvation in that name, just standing in authority in the name of Jesus. You know, I read something. This is pretty great. Let's see. This is off the cuff here. Matthew chapter 5. Let's see if I can find it. I'm sorry, not Matthew 5. That was where I was like looking at. Hold on one minute here. So, give me one second. I'm looking for this. I read this yesterday, and the Lord just showed me something so great through it. If I can't find it, I'll move on, but I'll just tell you about it. Almost there. I know it's got to be in here. It's in the Bible somewhere. Jesus heals the deaf man, be opened. 
He heals a blind man. Demon-possessed boy. I'm almost there. I know, I'm almost there. Okay, I don't know. I can't find it, but I'll tell you. Well, it's just the point I was reading where a person came to Jesus because their child had been demon-possessed. And so they came and asked Jesus to heal them. And Jesus said, go home. When the parent came, go home for your child as well. And whenever the parent went home, it says that they found their child completely sane, completely well, and in bed resting. And the Lord just showed me and was like, look, that, that person was delivered from that evil spirit instantaneously by faith, and no one even had to lay hands on them. Think of the authority that Jesus had. He could release a word from a distance in the evil spirit that was oppressing the child. He didn't even lay hands on the child. He just simply said, because of your faith, he, he released the command. And wherever that child was and, and where they were being oppressed by the evil spirit, the evil spirit left them at that very moment. So here's my point. Some of you need to start praying over your children. You're thinking, man, i got to do all this stuff and jump through these hoops, and I can't seem to get my children to come to church and want anything to do with this. Start taking authority over that devil that's oppressing them using the name of Jesus, and it doesn't matter if they're in this building or not. That spirit will flee and lift off of them. Hallelujah. It's in the book of Mark. I know that much. It ain't, is it in Matthew 15? Okay. Yeah, it's the Gentile woman. That's what it was. Yeah, because she wasn't even supposed to, you know, get the miracle. Hallelujah. So we've received all authority over the devil and his domain. Well, we understand the devil, he took authority from man. And Jesus identified the devil as the prince of this world. Paul identified the devil as the prince of this world. We have authority. Amen. We have authority. So we've received restored authority over the earth. We've received all authority over the devil and his domain. And the reason I keep saying that is because as you'll begin to read the scripture and see what is a product of the devil you can just start getting free from things left and right. You know, as soon as you really see, for instance, that according to the scripture, that sickness and disease is a byproduct of the oppression of the devil or the oppression of a, demon, a demonic sp spirit, and you understand your authority over the devil, you can walk in authority over sickness and disease in your life. Right? So then it'll lead me to this, this final point. Last week we said that you've received all things in Christ. Say all things. So the point was the master gave the servants everything up front. You've received all things in Christ. I want you to get this. God, write this down, and then I want you to say it too. Say God has given me everything he will ever give me. God has given me everything he will ever give me. 
Last week we talked about that because some people would hear that statement and say, what are you talking about, John? I don't feel like I, I don't have anything. No, if you have Christ, you have everything. You just don't know what you have. You don't have the revelation of what you truly have. We'll talk about that in just a moment as well. God has given me everything he will ever give me. This is just going to get better and better. I'm going to read you this testimony here. A few weeks ago, I was looking at an account, a bank account, and I didn't like the number that I saw. This was probably three weeks ago. I thought back to this time, so to give you some backstory, there was a time the biggest offering or che single check this ministry's ever received was a $25,000 check. That was the biggest the, the single check this ministry's ever received. So I was looking at this account, and I was like, oh, man, Lord, you've been good. We got all this stuff going on. I know we've had to buy this, this, and this. And, you know, I just don't really like that number that I'm seeing. And I was thinking back to that time that he gave this ministry a $25,000 check. And I said, Lord, thank you for that money. It just came right out of my mouth. Thank you for that money. And as quickly as I could get the words out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit responded to me with this revelation. He said, I didn't give you that $25,000. I gave you Jesus. Think about that. I'm sitting there thinking about this time, that I'm visualizing it. Man, I remember the day that, that we were so surprised. We opened up the offering. There's a $25,000 check. Lord, thank you for giving that to me. And I would never believe what I heard in my spirit. He said, I didn't give you that $25,000. I gave you Jesus. That $25,000 existed in Jesus. It existed in him. What do you mean it existed in him? Because all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. The Lord says you could have had it before and you could have had it again. And the reason you don't have it or you haven't had it isn't because I don't want you to have it. I've already given it to you. It's because you haven't been walking in your authority to receive it. So he says, I didn't give you that $25,000. I gave you Jesus, and that $25,000 existed in him. This is what he said to me. He said, no, you took the talent. You took the bag of silver. You were like the servant that took what the master gave you. And this is what he told me. He said, you took the talent. You took the kingdom. You took the word, and you possessed that $25,000. Hallelujah. I remember at that time when that happened, I was making confession, and I actually was decreeing for that to come in, and it just it came in. The Lord said, I didn't give it to you. I gave you Jesus, and you took what I gave you in Jesus, and you put it to work, and you possessed that promise. And the reason why that's important, he said, because it was already there, and you possessed it by faith. And since it was already there and you possessed it by faith, you can use your faith to possess it again, 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 and again. Y'all ready for the testimony now? That, the Lord spoke that to me about three weeks ago, and it changed. Every, all of a sudden, I got this realization of why Kenneth Hagin began to preach to people. He said, the Lord showed him never to pray about money again. Just claim everything that you need. Using that name, and we, we've been practicing that. I got this revelation, and I read Psalms 8, and I saw how the earth and everything in the earth was given to man, and Christ restored us back to this place of authority. And I started thinking, wait, 
Why am I asking God to do X, Y, Z and give me this and bring me this and move this mountain and open this door when if it's in the earth realm, it's under my authority and all I have to do is command what I want to come in the name of Jesus. So guess what? In three weeks, I'm not kidding you, in three weeks, I've seen that same account increase $17,000 in the last three weeks. Hallelujah. That's like, I mean, oh my gosh, in three weeks, the same account that I was looking at, thinking, eh, I don't really like that. I've seen it increase $17,000 in three weeks. Y'all, you understand that there is a day where our offerings, I mean, and we're not even like some big mega church. Our offerings were like $300 or something, you know, every two weeks. It's like I get this revelation and we start decreeing. And let me tell you something. The word works. Jesus works. His name works. In three weeks, $17,000 increase in that same account. Hallelujah. Here's the, here's the conclusion here. Stop waiting on God and use your faith to possess the earth and all that's in it. Y'all did, didn't shout me down enough there. Listen to me. Stop waiting on God and use your faith to possess the earth and all that is in it. If it pertains to the earth, you can call it in. You can use that name. You can stand in your authority and command what you need to come into your possession. We're going to talk about some of these principles, but some people, they just need to get specific, and we'll talk about that. You know, the major change started happening, and I'm telling you how the $17,000 in three weeks, an increase in that account, is you know that I stopped just taking up offerings, and I started targeting what this ministry needed. I started literally believing. For example, I say, Lord, this ministry needs $5,000 this week. I'm targeting it. and I, I, Not, Father, will you pray? I said, no, in the name of Jesus, I command that money to come into the hand of this ministry. I bind the devil because we've been given authority over all the power of the devil. And if we don't have it, it's not because God hasn't given it to us. It's because there's a kink in the hose. And who's the source of that kink? It's the devil who operates in a place of authority in the part of the world that's under the curse. So I command the devil to take his hands off and I release the ministering spirits of the Lord, the angels of the Lord to go and gather that harvest and cause it to come forth in the name of Jesus. Brother Tristan said the Lord put it in his spirit to start believing God for a car and he called it in in two weeks. He already got a testimony. The Lord provided a car. A, a car. He's wanting to start a business fixing and flipping cars. And he called it in, and, and the Lord delivered it to him. Come on, somebody. It works. Me and my wife, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at each other saying, this is too easy. Like, something's got to be off, right? It's not supposed to be this easy. No, it is supposed to be this easy. It wasn't until after the curse or after sin in Genesis 3 that, that Adam was cursed to labor for provision. By the breaking of his back and by the sweat of his brow would the earth yield a crop. Right? That's part of the curse. Christ became a curse for us. Christ took the curse upon himself and pulled us out from underneath the curse pronounced by the law. Are the curse pronounced or as an effect of our wrongdoing? 
Hallelujah. So that my point is, it, it, it really is too easy. It's too good. It seems like it's too good to be true. There's no way all I have to do is use my mouth. Yes, I'm telling you. Hallelujah. Stop waiting on God and use your faith to possess the earth and all that's in it. I'll ask you this question. Is a house in the earth? Then stop praying about it. Is a car in the earth? Who's in authority over the earth? Who has the key of David? We do as the church. Is money in the earth or is it in heaven? Is there any American dollars, Benjamins? and, and No, there's none of that in heaven. It's all on the earth. So we're in authority over it. Use the name and command mountains to move, command things to come. Hallelujah. Do you understand this now? Are you kind of getting the, the picture here that the master gave them, ev- that he gave them everything up front, and they had to put it to work and, and multiply it? Number two, what I want to extract from this parable. So number one, the master gave the servants everything up front. Number two, I need you to notice this. Each person put it to work as much or as little as they wanted. One took what was given to them. One Christian got a hold of the keys of the kingdom, got a hold of the authority in that name, got a hold of the position of authority restored to us in Christ, got a hold of the word and the promises of God. And what did he do? He put it to work and multiplied it ten times over. One servant got the same thing and only was able to multiply it five times over. One servant got the same thing and and didn't multiply it at all. Each person put it to work as much or as little as they wanted. Can I tell you something tonight? God's not going to force your hand. So many people are sitting back just waiting on God. They're waiting on their season, right? We're all just waiting on our season. God's not going to force your hand. God's not going to do it. You, you can put this to work as much as you want to or as little as you want to. And God will completely keep his hands off. Tell you this, the difference between five pounds, the difference between the servant that multiplied it to five pounds of silver and ten pounds of silver was these three things, revelation, vision, and application. The difference between multiplying it ten times over and multiplying it five times over and not multiplying it all is revelation, vision, and application. Say revelation. Say vision. Say application. Basically, the Lord showed me this because I asked, I said, Lord, what, what was the difference? They all got the same thing, right? They all got one bag of silver. How come one was only multiplied it five times over, and how come one multiplied it ten times over? You didn't give any more to the one that had ten. How come he was able to do that? The Lord said, revelation, vision, and application. What do I mean by that? Let's start with revelation. What was the difference between the one that did five and the one that did ten? It was the revelation of what they could actually do with what had been given to them. The difference between how high you go and how high I go in life and what I possess is not what God wants me to have. It's the revelation that you get a hold of, of what God has actually given to you already in Christ and what you're able to do with it. 
Are y'all following me tonight? One of them took that, that, that talent, that silver, and he didn't get a revelation. He didn't understand what had been given to him and what was possible and what he was capable of. So guess what? He didn't do anything with it. One of them got a hold of it and started to see a little bit of bits and pieces, and he put it to work a little bit. Guess what? He got a little bit. Then one of them got a hold of the same thing and saw what they had been given and saw what was possible for them to achieve. You've been given all things. Say, I already got it. This is the difference between waiting on God and possessing the promises of God. So one servant saw no possibilities, and one servant saw some possibilities, and one servant saw major possibilities. The crazy part is they all had received the same thing. Listen to this. The difference between Kenneth Hagin and Oral Roberts, or let me say it like this. The difference between Kenneth Hagin, Oral Roberts, and the Christian that dies at home sick and broke is the revelation of what you can do with what has been given to you. The difference between a person like Kenneth Hagin, like Oral Roberts, and the Christian that loves the Lord, that believes in Jesus Christ, that dies at home sick and in their bed, the difference between those two people, of those three people, is the revelation of what God has given to you and what you can do with it. You know that those men, the greats, the, the generals that we look up to, they weren't special. They, didn't, they actually weren't given more. They were given the same thing. But why were they able to achieve? Why were they able to do this? Because they got a revelation of what had been given to them and what was possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. Hallelujah. So number, number one, say vision. Number two, I'm sorry, number one, say revelation. Number two, say vision. So the Lord said the difference between the servants was revelation and vision, number two being vision. What is vision? Where they were going and how they were going to use what they had been given. Where you're going. So number one, you got to get a revelation of what you've been given. And number two, you got to get vision on how to apply what you've been given. You've got to bring it to reality here. It's great to say, oh, man, hallelujah, I believe that God's given us all these things in Christ. But you've got to be able to focus that and say, what can I actually achieve in my life? What can I, how can I use this to achieve in my business? How can I use this to achieve in my finances? How can I put this to work? That's vision. Vision is where you're going. Hallelujah. So the difference between those two servants is one only had vision for five bags and one had vision for ten bags. I want you to write this down. Your vision will be a product of your revelation. If you have small vision in life, it's because you have little revelation. If you have small vision, it's because you have a, just a little revelation. You know, it's the difference between somebody having vision. Somebody's greatest vision is a car. 
Someone's greatest vision is a house with a dog and the white picket fence. And then somebody has a vision for a generation changed, for a nation shaken. What's the difference between those two people? Have they received different things? No, their vision, their revelation of what is possible for them because of what they've received. Why do so many Christians stay broke? Their vision. They're, they just think. They, I can't, they can't even picture themselves with more than $30,000 in income a year. They can't even picture that. They have small vision. Why do they have small vision? Because they're lacking revelation. Hallelujah. Are y'all getting this tonight? I hope so. Here's the question. Where are you going? And then number C, or I'm sorry, the third thing, number three, you got revelation, you got vision, now you got application. So if you want the difference between the servant that multiplied it five times over and ten times over is number one. The one that did ten times over, he got a revelation of what he'd been given. Then he got vision to come behind that revelation. And then number three, he applied. He applied what he had been given. Say application. It's not enough to know it and see it. You have to apply it to possess it. It's not enough to know it and see it. You have to apply it to possess it. Guys, there's a lot of Christians that know it, but they're not applying it. There's a lot of Christians that when you read Mark 11, 22 through 24, you can say to a mountain, move. They know it. They've heard it. They'll say amen when they hear old Kenneth Hagin tapes talking about it, but they don't apply it. And because they don't apply it, guess what? They don't possess it. It's not enough just to know it. So here's the three steps. I'll break these down just a little bit more. Number one was revelation. You've got to get revelation. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. How do you get revelation? The word of God. Say the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, I'll read you another verse to tie together. Hosea 4, 6. I just want to highlight the first part of that. It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It's very simple. You can't have what you don't know. You can't have what you don't know. You can't possess the earth. You can't walk in Adam's authority. You can't use the name of Jesus like the key of David and open doors and shut doors and, and, and rule and dominion over the devil. You can't do that if you've never heard and you don't know. So you know what you have to do? You've got to fill yourself with the word of God. People think that reading their Bible is religious. No, it's not. You're filling yourself with revelation. As you read, man, I'm telling you, it comes to life off the page. You start to read and your mind starts to grab a hold of these things and say, hey, hold on a second. I didn't know that I could have that. And guess what? Now, now I saw it and now I got a revelation of what the Bible says I can have. So you know you, what you need to follow with that revelation? Now you see what you can have. You need to get vision to follow it. How are you going to put that revelation to work? How are you going to apply that revelation?
which will come us to number two, vision. Say a vision. This is how and what you apply that revelation towards. Proverbs 20, 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I'm going to ask you this question again. Where are you going? Where are you going? If you're just simply living, if you're just simply existing, if you're just simply waking up, eating, surviving, trying to get through tomorrow to go to sleep and close your eyes and wake up and think, I'm going to walk in the overflowing prosperity of the Lord, I'm going to tell you, you're going to perish, you're going to suffer, you're going to never possess that promise of God because you have no vision. Where are you going? I've told you this a hundred times. According to the Bible, every single believer should be in the top of their occupation. And let me tell you this. If you have no vision to go to the top, then you need to get yourself somewhere where you can have vision to go to the top. I know some people will say, well, I don't want to go to the top in my job. I don't think I like it. I don't think I want the responsibilities. I like just where I'm at. Can I tell you something? You're in the wrong place. You're just surviving. You're just paying the bills. You need to get somewhere where you can see yourself sitting in that place. Because until you get that vision, if you never see yourself with it in your spirit, you'll never see yourself. If you don't see it in your spirit, you'll never see it in your hand. You've got to get vision. Where are you going? I told you guys this year, you know where we're going as a church. We're doubling this year. You know what I see for 2022? I see it, this church growing to 100 people. This ministry is not going to struggle and lack and suffer because I, I'm not just showing up. Well, whatever happens, whoever comes, however it's going to be, we're just going to play it out over the next year or two or three. And No, there's vision behind revelation. Hallelujah. Come on. You can have all the faith in the world, but if it's not directed at something, it accomplishes nothing. You hear that? You can have all the faith in the world, but if it's not directed at something, it accomplishes nothing. Jesus said, I'll give you an example. This is vision. What are you directing your faith towards? Jesus said, you could say to this mountain, may you be removed and cast into the sea. And if you believe those things which you say and do not doubt, you'll have what you say. you got to ask yourself this. You have to first identify the mountain before you can move the mountain. If you don't know what the mountain is that needs to move, then it's never going to move. You know, part of prayer... I think we kind of just ramble sometimes. Some people, they don't really know how to pray. Let's just get in there and, uh, you know, just kind of be religious and repetitious. And if I just repeat myself enough times, maybe it'll work. No, you really, if you're having a problem, what we need to do is we need to get in the spirit of God and identify the source of that problem. Get to the root of the problem. And once you figure out what that is, you attack it with your authority and your faith. You, the mountain won't move unless you first identify what the mountain is. You hear me? You, can't, you can have all the faith in the world, but if it's not directed at something, it accomplishes nothing. The Bible says he, God told Joshua, he told Moses, you will possess the land that I'm bringing, in you, I'm bringing you into. But can I tell you, you have to first identify the land that you're possessing before you can ever possess it. What's the land? 
For you, what's the land? What's that promised land? Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Here's the question. What are you hoping for? What do you want right now? If you can't answer that question and give me a list and say, I ha you know what, John? Every Christian, if, if, if I said, what do you want in life? You should be able to pull out a list and say, I've already thought about it. I already know exactly what I want. I know down to the dollar and the cent exactly what I want. I know down to the, the, the occupation's name and the company what I, exactly what I want. Because until you can identify what it is that you're hoping for, your faith can never materialize it and bring it into possession. So here's the question with vision. Where are you going? Number three, write this down, application. So you got to have revelation, you've got to have vision, and you've got to have application. You've got to see what the Word says. You've got to get vision where to apply that Word and how it applies to you. And then number three, you've got to actually apply it. It's not enough just to know and see. You have to apply. James 1, 22 through 24 says this. Be you, be, but be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Say doers deceiving yourselves. You know what the Bible says? That if you just simply, you can hear the message of faith, you can hear me jump up here and scream and shout and tell you how excited I am and this is what God showed me. You can hear it all day long, but until you do it, it says if you think you're going to possess it just by hearing it and agreeing with it, you're fooling yourself. You can't just be hearers. You have to be doers. You have to apply it. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, look at this. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man that he was. The, the NLT says he forgets what he looks like. So here's the point. I asked the Lord about this a few years ago. I was like, Lord, basically it says that if you're just a hearer of the word and you don't apply it, you don't do it, you're like a person that goes and looks in the mirror and you walk away and forget what you look like. I'm like, Lord, what the heck does that mean? The Lord showed me one time. He said, if you were to go and stand in front of the mirror and fix your hair and all this stuff and then turn around and immediately forget what you looked like, you might as well have never even looked in the mirror in the first place. So here's the point. If you hear and see the word and don't apply it, you might as well have never have heard and saw it to begin with. It will produce the same for you as if you hadn't, which is absolutely nothing. If you hear the message of faith, you hear this teaching, and you sit there, and you're like, oh, you know, I don't really care. I'm telling you, you might as well just go ahead and accept you're not going to possess anything. You might as well have never even heard it to begin with because it only does good if you apply it. You have to have all three. You have to have revelation. You have to have vision. You have to have application. Say, I have to have all three. If you have revelation with no vision, then your faith has nothing to produce. Right? You have to target what it is that you're believing for. If you have revelation, I know God can do all of this stuff, but I can't pinpoint one thing in my life that I am standing in authority for and believing in the name of Jesus. If you can't pinpoint that, then you're never going to receive anything. It has nothing 
Your faith has nothing to produce. If you have vision with no revelation, your vision has no ground to stand on. Man, I'm going to go change the world, and hallelujah, I'm going to do all this stuff and change the world for Jesus, and that's exciting. But the Bible says that it's zeal without wisdom. It's just foolishness. Jesus said that those that build their life on my word is like a person that builds a house on a strong foundation. So if you have no revelation, you can get excited and charismatic, but your, your, your revelation, your vision has no ground to stand on. And then listen to this. If you have revelation and vision but no application, you're just the same as having never heard or saw to begin with. Here's the question, and I'm going to read you something. Here's the question. Let's bring it back to this parable. The, the master gave them these talents, and he took his hands off, and he's like, I gave you everything. I've given you. Guys, do you understand right now you've been given? Let's just put it in practical terms. You've been, we've been given everything that we need to become multi, 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 multi millionaires. You don't need anything else. In fact, you've already been, it's already been given to you. What do we need to do? Tap into the revelation of what's been given to us. Get vision behind that revelation and get application behind that revelation and vision. Hallelujah. What's the application? Well, I know that God can provide. What's the vision? No, you know, I know that God can provide, but I'm going to believe and decree and declare in the name of Jesus, $5,000, you're going to come in in this offering, and in three weeks, it, that account increases $17,000 because of revelation, because of vision, and because of application. So here's the question. Which, which servant are you? Do you, do you have no vision? Do you have vision for five bags? Do you have vision for 10 bags? I want you to write these last couple of things down. Write this down. What you possess is not up to God. It is determined by your revelation, vision, and application. Can I tell you something that I hope, this is the kind of statement, the climax of everything I'm telling you. You can go as far and as fast as you want to go. That's the statement that lit me on fire in my spirit. When the Lord said, showed this to me, I got this revelation of what I'm telling you. Everything, I've already given it to you. And what you multiply and what you possess does not depend on me. It depends on if you'll get a revelation of what I've given to you and you'll get vision and you'll apply it. The Lord showed me you can go as far and as fast as you want to go. You know what I did? You know what this, like when this gets a hold of you, you know what it does? It gets you out of lethargy. You know what I did the very next day after the Lord showed, me, showed this to me? I got my book back from an editor and I sent it to a publisher. You know why? Because I'm not waiting on God anymore. I can go as far and as fast as I want to go. You know what else I started to do? I started making a plan to start calling radio stations to start getting the word of God on the radio in Angelina County. I'm gonna, you know, I don't care if they say, hey, it's going to cost you $5,000 a month. We'll call the money in and decree it, and it'll come in. 
Well, don't you need to pray? No, I don't need to pray because I can go as far and as fast as I want to go. I can take the message of the gospel and go as far with it as I want to go and as fast as I want to go. And you can take the thing that God's put in your hand and go as far and as fast as you want to go. You're not waiting on God. It's a matter of you getting a revelation and getting vision and putting it to work to possess the land. Hallelujah. I'm going to do the last thing the Lord told me to do tonight, and I'm actually going to read you a little bit, a few pages out of this book that I just got done. It may need to go through a final editing process. The publisher is going to look at it. But I have a couple sections I want to read to you. Is that okay? The Lord asked me to do this. So this is entitled Pray Specific Prayers. This is kind of going to just reiterate everything that I just shared with you. Pray specific prayers. The problem many people face with never getting the results of Bible faith is that they pray very vague and general prayers. This will never produce a harvest because faith is specific. In this section, I want to cover a few principles that will help you produce the fruit of faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In order for faith to produce anything, you must first identify the thing that you're hoping for. Y'all listening to me? Many people don't know what they want. When they look at their life, they know that they're unsatisfied, but they don't know what change looks like. Here's the question, what are you hoping for? Until you can answer that question, your faith will lie dormant. Faith brings what you're hoping for into existence. If you're not hoping for anything, then your faith has nothing to bring to life. Mark eleven twenty four. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, it will be yours. We can pray for anything. You must first identify what anything is before you can have it. This is the scriptural principle all throughout the ministry of Jesus. Look at this. Blind Bartimaeus called out to Jesus and was met with this question. What is it that you want? Then he responded, I want to see. Bartimaeus had to verbalize and pinpoint what he wanted in order for his faith to kick in and bring forth his healing. I love the story found in John 5. One day Jesus approached the pool of Bethesda when, a sick, uh, when he met a sick man who had been ill for 38 years. The sick were known to gather around the pool because many believed that they would get healed if they could be the first to enter into the water. Jesus asked the man, would you like to be well? This seemed like a stupid question at surface level. Of course he would like to be well. That's why he's at the pool. You get that? Everybody gathered around the pool of Bethesda hoping that the angel would stir the water and they'd get in and they'd get well. Jesus walks up to a man sitting by the pool and says, would you like to be well? It seems like a stupid question. Of course he'd like to be well. That's why he's at the pool. Jesus was no fool, yet he still asked this question. Why? In order for the man to receive healing, he had to target his healing with his faith. By asking this question, Jesus was getting the man to target the thing that he was desiring. The rest is history. The man was instantly healed, took his mat, and left the place of sickness. 
The Bible says in Psalms 37, 4, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Again, we see the same concept. You have to have desires in your heart or the Lord has nothing to give you. Write out the things you're believing for and be specific. Don't just say, Lord, bless me. When you wake up the next morning with air in your lungs, he has answered that prayer. How do you want the Lord to bless you? Do you mean financially, physically, materially? You need to be specific. Let's say you actually meant financially. Now we're getting somewhere. Now you pray, Lord, bless me financially. The next day you walk down the street, you find $5. The Lord answered your prayer. You may say, well, that's not exactly what I meant. Well, you must say what you mean. How much per month are you wanting to increase? 500, 1,000? Get specific. Once you get specific, now your faith can go to work in bringing to pass the specific thing you're hoping for. You must see it in your heart before you'll ever see it in your hand. Many people will take this as a formula and begin to and begin to ro uh, robotically pray for the thing they want. Yet they do not really believe it or see it in their heart. Mark eleven twenty three. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. The passage tells us that faith is having the thing that you hope for in your heart before you have it in your hand. You hear me? Faith is having it in your heart before you ever have it in your hand. And can I tell you, if it's not close to your heart, it will never be close to your hand. That's why I'm telling you, if you're in a job that you don't like, you need to get fresh vision, fresh fire, fresh revelation, or you need to move somewhere where you can get vision. Because if it's not close to your heart, it'll never be close to your hand. Abraham had to see the stars and begin to assign faces to those stars before he could ever have a child. Jacob had to see the striped branches before he ever saw the striped livestock. You must have a clear vision in your spirit before faith can produce. Joseph had a dream of being in the position of a king before he was ever placed in charge of ruling over Egypt. You must see the thing you're hoping for in your spirit before you see it in your hand. Believe this is a section. Believe God for a plan. Are you all still okay? Just a few more pages here. God works in specific. In specifics, read back in Genesis how specific God was with Noah in regards to the ark he was to build. God didn't only say to build a boat. He told Noah how big to build it, what it was to be built with, and what to put in it once he finished building it. Read back in Exodus at the instructions God gave for the tabernacle. God works in specifics. I remember when I first became the pastor of our church in Huntington, Texas, God spoke to me and told me to reach my city. That was very vague. So I went into a month of intermittent fasting and began to ask the Lord to give me a plan. I said, Lord, you know exactly what I need to do, when I need to do it, how I need to do it, where I need to do it, and who I need to do it with. Show me, Lord. Nothing came for several weeks. Then one afternoon I was in prayer and the Lord downloaded eight specific things in my spirit. Those specific instructions paved the way to a building being provided and totally equipped for having church, along with the money and no loan from a bank to purchase this property. Hallelujah. Gary Kesey, 
Cassie once said, many people have a mailbox mentality. They'll work a $10 an hour job and believe for $150,000 to show up in six days mysteriously in their mailbox. Here's the question, can God do that? Can God bring $150,000 and put it in your mailbox? Yes, because the Bible says in Mark 9, 23, all things are possible to the one that believes. God can absolutely do that, and there have been many stories of God doing these things, but I want you to think in a different perspective. What does $150,000 really do? Does that help? Well, yeah, of course it helps, but will that change your life? Listen to this. If $150,000 is a life-changing amount of money for you, I want to challenge you to begin dreaming God-sized dreams. Let's say you open your mailbox to $150,000. Your life may change momentarily, but you will still go back to a job that only pays you $10 an hour. You give a man a fish and he eats for a day. You teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. Have you ever heard this? God delights in giving people fish to eat for today, but he wants to go a step further and build structure in your life that ushers a continual flow of blessing. He doesn't just want to give you a pool full of water. He promised a river of living water that will spring from the inside of you, John 7, 38. A river is guided by a riverbed. God wants to open up streams, lanes, and avenues in your life that continually direct his blessing to flow into your possession. When you pray, open up your mind to receive a plan from the Holy Spirit. I love using Abraham as an example considering he's the patriarch of our faith. When God promised to bless and multiply Abram, there was a method given in which the provision came. Do you hear? Listen to that. When God promised to bless and multiply Abram, there was a method given in which the multiplication came. God didn't drop it in Abram's mailbox. God taught Abram to dig water wells where his flocks and herds grew abundantly. This gave Abram the ability to monopolize the local industry. The same was true for Jacob. God did not simply drop, drop livestock into his lap. The Lord gave him a supernatural strategy to produce the livestock. You can see Genesis chapter 30 for that story. Think back to when Peter first encountered Jesus. The encounter ended with Peter having two fishing boats full of fish. But did Jesus teleport those fish into, into Peter's boat? No. Jesus gave Peter instructions saying, go into the deep and let down your nets. Jesus told Peter where to go and what to do. When we pray, we must open our minds to receive specific instructions from the Lord. Do not pray and simply hold your hand out. Isaiah 30, 21, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Listen to this. God will give you business idea. God will give you a business idea, and once he gives you a business idea, he will tell you how you are to run your business by the Spirit and through his word. The Spirit will tell you which investments to make and when to make them. God will direct you in the endeavor that he calls you into. Are you a stay-at-home mom? God will show you by his Spirit and through his word how to raise your kids. He will tell you where they are to go to school, what your kids should watch and listen to. The Lord not only wants to bless you today, he wants to change your entire situation for generations to come. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, 
but the wealth of the, of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Listen to this. God is trying to structure your life where there is an avenue of blessing that is still flowing in your family 80 years from now. Pray specific prayers and believe God for avenues that will usher in continual blessing. He'll give you a plan. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plan will succeed, Proverbs 16.3. This is what I want you to get and I'm going to end with this. Faith doesn't dream small dreams. Mark 9.23 says, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen to this. It is impossible to have these scriptures sealed in your heart and not dream big dreams. Anything is possible if a person believes. Say anything. It's impossible to get that in your spirit and dream small dreams. How can you get anything as possible and then think a little house with a $60,000 a year salary, with a white picket fence and a dog. How can you come to that believing anything is possible? If that's what really settles in your spirit after hearing that, you're, you're not dreaming God-sized dreams. How would you dream if there was no limit to how high you could ascend? How would you dream if money were not an issue? How would you dream if the word impossible was eliminated? This is the reality of dreaming with God. When God said it's impossible if you can believe it, he absolutely meant it. One of the most frustrating things I have come across is children dreaming dreams that are bound in the chains of realism. I spent several years in the youth ministry, and I've had many conversations with different kids about what they wanted to do when they grow up. The conversation usually went like this. Hey, little Jimmy, what do you want to do when you graduate? Well, I think I want to be a welder. Really now? And why is that? Well, welders make $200,000 a year. It was the same song with a different melody depending on the kid that I asked. I want to be a welder. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a physical therapist. All of those things are great, and we need all of those things in society to function correctly. God can absolutely call welders to the West Texas pipelines and nurses to the delivery rooms of hospitals. My problem was never with the answers that I received. My problem was with the reasons for the answers that I received. Every answer was driven by a dollar amount and never by the voice of the Lord. People dream too small. Their idea of a dream is a certain car, a certain house, or a certain amount of money in the bank, and therefore they choose life paths that in theory should allow them to achieve their dreams. I understand the motive. It's great to desire a good life and want to take care of your family. I wish more men today would step up and take care of their families. But the issue is the small-mindedness and unbelief that is rooted in that way of thinking. Many people think like animals. Animals don't dream of changing the world. Animals live to survive. Animals don't think about generations to come. Animals wake up, eat, survive, and repeat. So many people live with that same mindset. People believe that they must choose between following the call of God and living a good life. This cannot be further from the truth. Everything you do in life should be because the Lord told you. If you're a coal miner, it should be because God told you to be. If, if someone asked you today, why do you live where you live? 
Why do you work where you work? Why do you go to church where you go to church? The answer should be a story of when the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart and instructed you in, in all of those listed areas. If that is not true for you, your life is not in alignment. Almost done here. So many people settle for a small life where no one ever knows their name because they live rooted in ignorance, doubt, and unbelief about the will of God in regards to their provision. If God calls you to be a school teacher, you will be more physically, financially, and materially blessed being a school teacher than you would ever be as a lawyer in New York City. The most, the, the most blessed place to be is exactly where the Lord told you to be. People have dreams, but they have to bring it back to reality because of some backslidden, backwoods preacher told them that they needed a real plan in life. You're called to preach, you say. Well, you better get a plan B because you'll never support a family that way. The Bible does not tell us to seek after the means needed to live your life. And if you have time, you can serve the kingdom of God on the side. Jesus said the opposite, actually. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. What things will be added to you? Your clothes, your food, everything that is required in order to have a functioning life. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 to not worry about the things of everyday life. He said that is the way unbelievers live and think. If we have faith and seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, everything that everyone else kills themselves trying to get in the hustle and bustle would be added to our lives. Be who God has called you to be. Do what the Lord has called you to do. Train your kids to know this promise of provision so that they will dream without limitations. Once you understand that God promises to meet your needs, if you will serve his kingdom and carry out his purposes, you can begin to actually dream God-sized dreams. Because you won't be concerned with the things that bind many others to living a life, a small life where their biggest goal is the white picket fence and the dog in the yard. If you obey the Lord and go where he called you to go and do what he called you to do, he will give you the white picket fence and the dog for free. All while the world kills themselves in their own strength trying to obtain what the Lord has already promised you. Always remember that what most people consider their ceiling, having their, which is having their needs taken care of, is your floor if you will believe the word of the Lord. Never dream about how you can make enough to have a good life. Begin to dream about changing a city. Begin to dream about seeing abortion eradicated. Begin to dream about seeing the public school system completely restructured. Your goal should be to leave an impact in this world in whatever field you've been called to. When you die, the world should feel it. Get it in your spirit that God is not just a, pill, a bills paid and roof over your head type of God. Our Father is not the God of just enough. The God of the Bible is El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine, John 2. Not just any wine, but the most choice wine, the absolute best. Not only the best wine, but he turned six water pots of stone that held 30 gallons apiece. That's 180 gallons of the purest, most wonderful wine. More wine than those people could have drinking in a year. Why? First things are important in the Bible, and Jesus did this as his first miracle because he wanted to make a statement, I am El Shaddai, I am the God of abundance. 
Just on another page. When Jesus called Peter in Luke 5, he caused two of Peter's fishing boats to be so full of fish that they, were, they began to sink. Why? Jesus was making an important first impression. I am the God of abundance. Come and follow me. Money, no problem. Food, no problem. When Jesus fed the 5,000 plus women and children in Luke 9 with only a few loaves of bread and a few fish, the Bible says everyone ate as much as they wanted. Jesus didn't have to feed anyone, but he did. He could have multiplied the bread and fish to be just enough for them to not die in the wilderness, but he took it a step further and gave them more than enough. The Bible says they ate until they were full. The most interesting thing to me is found in verse 17 where the Bible says, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. There are many points to be made about the leftovers. Maybe they were given to the boy who sowed his bread and fish. Maybe they were kept by the 12 disciples as a reward for serving the kingdom. One thing I know for certain is Jesus was making a statement with this miracle. I am El Shaddai. Jesus made it very clear time and time again that our God is the God of abundant provision. Do not ever let provision be your reason for doing or not doing what God's called you to do. He will provide, and he will provide abundantly. If you have faith to believe it and receive it, dream big dreams not limited by the burdens of this world. If it's God's will, it's his bill, and he will always fund anything and everything that he's called you to do. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, no, that was long, but the Lord had, had told me to read it to you. You can go as far and as fast as you want to go, get revelation, get vision, put it to work, and possess the land. Amen? Hallelujah. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.